You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. What up, everybody? I hope you guys all like that brand new intro. Welcome to 2, 5, and 10, episode 47. Benny, um, you definitely had a hand in that intro with uh, Big Red. Can you give everybody the background? Oh, yeah. Uh, Redder came to me for a Father's Day gift for you, and she asked anything I needed to get updated or added that we were trying to get done for the podcast, and I said that we were discussing doing an actual professional-sounding intro that make us at least sound professional intro-wise, uh, so she graciously helped out with getting the uh, intro done, and yeah, now we're, we're good to roll. I was going to say, we, we sound professional. That's the biggest part. I mean, <laughs> anything after the intro is questionable, but I mean, just getting that is, is real, you know? Yeah, who knows about the content, but at least when people hear the first 20 seconds, they'll be like, oh, okay, this is legit. Yeah, they'll be like, oh my God, that guy has a great radio voice, and then they hear me <laughs> come in, and they're like, and we're just going to stop it now. <laughs> Get the Long Island and the Boston accents. Yeah, yeah what, what a great mix, huh? <laughs> um. I hope everybody like last week's uh, episode 46, the Pacific Division coverage. I thought it was pretty in-depth. We have to cut it down a little bit. We were a little bit long, but I mean, at the same time, I I thought it was good. But we're going to try to be a little bit better today, a little bit quicker. So we apologize for the holdup last week. Today we're doing the Central, Benny. And I mean, you want to talk about an absolute nightmare division. Here it is. Yeah, because you look at from top to bottom, even a team like Minnesota, who is in disarray with their front office and a very disappointing year last year, when you look at their roster on paper, would you be surprised on this hypothetical if they contended or made the playoffs next year? I wouldn't be. Same thing for a team like Chicago. So from top to bottom, I think this division is one of the best in the league. And I mean, the other thing too, when you look at it is there was five of these teams last year in the playoffs. So only yeah. two two in this division didn't make it, but with their record, I mean, they probably could have crossed over to the Pacific, but the guys ahead of them were that good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Colorado and Dallas having good runs. St. Louis wins the Cup, and then perennial powerhouses, Nashville and Winnipeg. So, yeah, I feel like if all seven of these teams were spread out around the rest of the league, they all could have made the playoffs last year. Well, Going with that, and you already said the team that we'll probably start off with, shall we go from the uh, bottom up again? Oh, yeah, let's do it. We'll head over to St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, the Minnesota Wild, very topsy-turvy offseason uh, this summer. Uh, last year, like I said, disappointing year, at least for the talent on the roster that they had and the coach and Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, they went 37-36-9 and for 83 points with a goal differential of a negative 26 uh, this offseason, they really just brought in two guys. They brought in Max Zuccarello on that long-term contract that we've discussed previously. They brought in a bottom six forward in Ryan Hartman, who knows what you're going to get out of him. Uh, they let go of a guy like Nate Prosser. Anthony Potato has gone. So they took on an extra $6.5 million in cap uh, obligations from last year to this year, and that's mainly the Zuccarello edition. We talked about the Paul Fenton hiring and what led to that and where they're going to be going there, going from there. But what's your take on their kind of slow offseason roster-wise and kind of where they stand right now? I don't like it. I, I don't like it at all. We, we already discussed the Zuccarello deal as to how we feel about it. I mean, maybe if the term was a little bit less, it, it wouldn't be as bad. But at the end of this deal, you would have a 35-year-old, 36-year-old Matt Zuccarello. Yeah. And I mean, if this was a two or a three year deal, I'd probably feel a lot better. But for a team that didn't make the playoffs last year, you figured they would probably be going in a different direction or attempting something new. And obviously, I don't think that was the right move. And yet again, like you said, we already touched on the Paul Fenton firing. And from what it came out, it seemed like it needed to be done. It seemed like it was pretty ugly there, locker room wise and media wise and all that. But now they still haven't hired a GM officially. They, they've had interviews. It's currently Tom Curvers, who was the assistant GM there. No moves have been made. Nothing's been done. 
the forwards, I don't really like them. Um, we already touched on that when we touched on the Fenton hire. And so maybe this one's just a little repetitive to start, but I promise we get better. <laughs> um, yeah. Zach Parise, too old, overpaid. Matt Zuccarello, same thing. I mean, you, you look at Jason Zucker here is probably the best player on the lineup. Eric Stahl so, had a pretty good bounce back too. I, I don't know. I mean, I you have high hopes for Ryan Donato. You look at the D end, you hope that, Dumba and Spurgeon and Brodeen can kind of hold it down for you. You look in net. I like Devin Dubnik. I don't think he can carry you as far to the playoffs. Alex Stalock, my boy from Worcester. That's about it, man. I, it's like I, I think it's going to be a really tough year for them in that central, and I see them staying in last place again. Yeah. For me, it's just they are a combination of expensive older veteran players and young role players that they're hoping can be more than become more than just that. So like they're in this purgatory where they couldn't commit to either one. And I know we talked about that previously, but the Zuccarello edition. Okay. So you're basically bringing back the same roster that's been there together for the last three, four seasons that hasn't gotten a job done. You added a few young guys, Kevin Fiala, who they're hoping for a big bounce back, Ryan Donato, like you said, uh, Luke Hoonan, who I'm a big fan of, uh, is kind of penciled in as their 3C right now. But I think they've squeezed all the juice they're going to be able to get out of this core. Like Parisi, Koivu, Eric Stahl, Ryan Suter, Devin, Devin Dubnik. I don't know if they're going to be able to get more than what they've gotten from them. And it's more likely that they're going to get their decline years starting now. And they don't have, I know uh, Zucker is good. But I don't think a guy like a Donato can replace Parisi. I don't think really a, there's a guy in a lineup that can replace what Sutter gave them in the, their prime. And they're, they're old, and they're going to lose Spurgeon as a free agent, most likely, and they don't have any guys ready to step up. So that being said, could they get solid bounce-back years from a guy like Parisi if unhealthy, Koivu bounces back, and some of the young guys step up and they contend for a wild-card spot? Sure. But I could just as easily see these guys selling off at the trade deadline who they can sell off. They can't trade Suter. They can't trade Parisi. I don't know who's going to take on Eric Stoll after signing the extension. No one's going to trade for Zuccarello. They're not going to trade any of the young guys in their lineup. So then it's down to what? Matt Dumba, Jared Spurgeon, and De- uh, Devin Dubnik? Like, I don't know what kind of rebuild they can get with that core right there. It's called Stuck. Yeah. The worst you can be is not bad enough to get the lottery pick, but not good enough to make the playoffs. That's the worst spot in the NHL. Every year, it's the worst spot in the NHL. There's always a couple of teams that are on it. And like you said, I mean, these guys aren't just UFAs at the end of the year and you can kind of stick it out for a year then see where you land. Like, these guys are locked up for at least two and three years. Yeah, you have a lot of money and old money on your books that I don't see anybody taking on. And then you look at a guy like Boudreaux as the coach. Does he want to stick around knowing that he's basically in quicksand there where you can't get it done with the core, but you also can't change the core. You can just add role player, young role players around them and then hold for like lightning in a bottle like the Blues caught? Or... Does he want to bail? But we can get into that during our season preview uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, I just think it's a wide range of outcomes for the, the Wild after the offseason. They had basically kept everybody, and then the new GM is going to come in and might want to just start over. Would they buy out Parisi? Would they buy out Sitter and take on that cap pitch as they start over? I don't know. <laughs> That's a lot of money just to start over, too. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, kind of quick in a while, just because you spent devoted so much time to them this offseason. Uh, so we'll move down south uh, from St. Paul to Chicago. The Blackhawks kind of rebuilding on a fly. Last year they struggled with the Dylan Strom trade. They finished 36, 34, and 12 for 84 points and finished with a minus 22 goal differential. This offseason, pretty busy for them. They brought back Andrew Shaw. They signed Robin Leonard to a one-year, $5 million deal. Uh, they traded for Calvin DeHaan and Ali Mata for the back end. John, uh, John Quenville is brought in for some depth. Ryan Carpenter, uh, Zach Smith in the Anisimov trade uh, was brought in from Ottawa. Alex Nylander 
was bought low from the Sabres. And then they let go of Anisimov, Marcus Kruger, John Hayden, Chris Kunich retired, Cam Ward still out there, uh, Dominic Cahoon was traded, and then the Henry Chukahaju was included in the Nylander trade. All in all, they added $7.5 million on their cap obligations. How do you think their offseason went, kind of trying to rebuild on a fly and take advantage of the Taves Kane uh, core a couple more years? I actually really like the addition of Zach Smith into that lineup. I think he's going to give them a lot more depth, and I I think it was great. I mean, not too bad of a cap hit, 3.25 for the next two years. I don't think it's that bad. Looking at something else, too, bringing back Andrew Shaw, I don't know if this is good or bad. Like, he went to Montreal, he signed that ticket, and he did absolutely nothing. Granted, while he was in Chicago and playing there, he was their menace. He was everything that they needed him to be, and he did it. But has he run out? Like, I don't know. So, I mean, it's definitely a risk that they're taking. But if they can get the Andrew Shar of old, I think they lucked out here big time. It's just, is he going to be able to do that night in and night out? I'm not too sure. Another question I have is, can Alex DeBrinkett become the player that he was again last season this year? And yeah. they need to hope that Strom can continue to light it up with DeBrinkett because it seemed like he finally found his game when he back went back to playing with him. So hopefully with that, they can both continue their success of last season because if both of those guys go cold this year, I don't think they make the playoffs. Another thing is, I think that Kirby Doc is a hell of a player, and I think you're probably going to see him there this year. And Alex Nylander, I know we've all talked about him. If he finally can come in and break a lineup, I think he has potential too. So interested to see as to where they go, where they don't go. I mean, on paper, they, they could be a playoff team. It, but we said that last year at the beginning of the year too, and they kind of fell apart. So... I guess it all depends on as to which Blackhawks team wants to come out. I really like their defense. I like the additions of Dahan and Olimata. Those are huge pickups, especially with Seabrook and his decline currently. Another thing, too, is kudos to Stan Bowman for bringing in Robin Leonard and realizing as to how unreliable Corey Crawford is due to injury. Like, I think... A one-year deal is perfect here. Like yeah, you have them, six signing. Yeah, like you have them, you need them. Crawford seems to be injury prone every year. I think this is a phenomenal deal. The issue we runs into is that both Crawford and Leonard are unrestricted at the end of this year, so they're going to need to re-sign one of them at the end of the year. Crawford thirty-four, Leonard twenty-eight. So I think they have something to look at. One last thing too is. Now they officially have Jeremy Colleton starting the season with them. So hopefully after a full season of Jeremy Colleton, we can actually see whether he's NHL ready, whether he can have his team NHL ready. I know sometimes switching a coach halfway through the year, sometimes it's lightning in the bottle when you look at the St. Louis Blues, and sometimes it's still kind of an uphill climb when you looked at the Blackhawks. But at the end of the season, they had a really good push. When Colleton first took over, it was a little iffy, but towards the end, it kind of seemed like they found their stride a little bit. So maybe after having that rest of the season with them, they'll be able to jump up at the beginning of this year and have a good start. So we'll see as to what's in store for them. Yeah, the interesting part about the Jeremy Colleton transition was I was reading a feature article on Brent Seabrook um, and his his journey to kind of reclaim his top four spot and prove to everybody that he's not washed up at this point. And he mentioned that for a lot of the guys that are part of the core of the Blackhawks, they played in the same system almost their entire careers under Quinville. And then he's gone halfway through the season and then they had to get used to a pretty much a brand new system. Uh, Colleton's running different assignments. He's running different wall assignments, uh, different tempo, everything. So Seabrook mentioned that it was difficult for a lot of guys and that's why he took I think it was like after he hit his two-month mark on a job the Blackhawks started to play much better and that kind of coincided with the Dylan Strom acquisition as well 
for the offseason for me, I think it boils down to the Blackhawks always, especially once the Caps started really decimating their Stanley Cup teams, they needed to add depth. And I think they did that this year. I don't know what you're going to get out of Andrew Shaw. I know he had 47 points last year for the Montreal Canadiens, but it was only in 63 games. He hasn't played 80 games since he was 22 years old in 2013-14. So I think they're looking at Shaw as a 55-60-65 game-a-season guy at this point. And that's why they brought in a guy like Zach Smith to reinforce on in a bottom six that big physical-type forward. Um, if Alex Nylander can't crack the third, even a fourth line, if you want to make him just a power play guy, get his feet wet, I don't know if they're going to have much hope for him as far as an NHL career there. I like the Calvin DeHaan acquisition. I like the Ali Mata acquisition. I just don't know what you're going to get out of Brent Seabrook. I'm not sure if Eric Gustafson as your first pair right-hand shot defenseman is contender material. I like Connor Murphy. I like that he's on a third pair at this point. And I absolutely loved Robin Leonard signing for one year, $5 million. I think everybody pegged him to get a multi-year deal for six, $7 million. So they got him on a cheap. I think that it's a, another prove-it deal uh, just to make sure that he wasn't just a product of Barry Trotz's defensive system on Long Island. Um, so I think he's in line for a good year just because Carlton's going to break up uh, the starts between the two goalies now. Um, and he wasn't able to do that last year. So I think Crawford's probably looking at 55-60 games. If that, I think he's more probably like 50-30 to 30 with Leonard or if Leonard just runs away with the starting job. He's going to get the majority of the starts. But I think Chicago, after a couple years of cap hell, has finally been able to put themselves in a position to add some depth that might be a little expensive, like a guy like Sean Smith, and just see what they're throwing a bunch of shit on the wall and they're just going to see what sticks. So uh, I like their offseason. I think they put themselves in a position of kind of contend for that final wild card spot. And they have the potential for a little bit more. I don't know if they're in the top tier at this point, even in the B tier, but they're a playoff contender, I think. I'm with you. It's like, like I said, I mean, I don't know what team's coming out. So that's the hardest part. Yeah. So if they can, like you said, at the end of last year, they kind of put a really good push on. If they're able to come out and reproduce that, I think they're there. But if they have a tough start, it's going to be hard to get out of that hole. Yeah, especially in the division that they're in. So... And you know Kane and Taze are going to show up. Uh, I, I expect some type of regression from Dylan Strome, but I think he kind of found his footing in the system under Carlton in Chicago, and that's a move that's going to work out for him. I just don't know if they have the strength on D outside of Duncan Keith, who's 35 at this point. And DeHaan's a nice player, but he's more of like a 5'6 guy, and who knows if Ali is going to be able to stay healthy and regain his form. So it's just a lot of ifs on a Chicago roster. But thank God we're here for the on-paper thing. And on paper, they look good. <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, we'll go to the Colorado Avalanche, who had a very strong playoff run. Uh, they finished the regular season 38-30-14 for 90 points and a plus-14 goal differential this offseason. They had a very eventful summer, uh, probably not as eventful as everybody thought because they still have, I think, like $17 million in cap space at this point. But they brought in Isaac Kadri, Jonas Donskoy, Andre Burakowski, Pierre-Edward Bellamar, and Kevin Continent as notable additions. They traded Tyson Berry, Alex Kerfoot, Carl Soderberg, uh, and Simeon Valarmov moved on to Long Island. Derek Broussard, I think, is still out there unsigned. And they shed about eight and a half million dollars in cap obligations. Go ahead. I really like their lineup, man. I, I do. Uh, obviously, biggest thing right now, Miko Rantanen still in RFA needs to get signed. But I think you can expect that same amount of output from that big three: uh, Landeskog, McKinnon, and Rantanen. Yeah. Going the other way, I think Donskoy and Barakovsky are huge pickups for them. I think nice step. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I mean, outside of that big three where you're going to lie on most of your scoring, I mean, Donskoy had a hell of a year in San Jose. Burakovsky is one of those wild cards where he never really found himself in Washington, but he's always been a good player. 
So I think if you can find a good mesh here with some other younger guys that are on this team, I think you could end up keeping them here for a long term and hopefully everything works out. We'll, we'll see. Um, defensively, Kale McCarr having a full season under his belt this year will be huge. And I'm very interested to see if Samuel Gerard can make that jump to that next tier defenseman. Yeah. I think that is huge for them. Cause if you can have both McCarr and Gerard at that next level, that solidifies you even more. So I think that is a very big expectation, very big shoes to fill. I do think he can do it, but we have to see what happens. I mean, the season has to play out going to the back end. Does Grubauer continue his playoff performance into the regular season this year? I mean, we saw what he could do last year in the postseason. So I think for them, it's just getting there because with what he did last year in the postseason, I think he can carry you. He he did it for him last year. So that's the biggest part. If they can make it to the dance, I think they can make some noise. So for them, it's just repeating on getting into the playoffs. And I see them a little bit better than they were last year. I just think it's tough in this division. Like we've said the whole time, this is a nightmare of a division. So I see them as like a wild card one. That That's where I kind of see them as. Okay. For me, it starts with Grubauer. And I know they have that top line, which is probably competing with your boys in Boston for the best number one line in a sport. Um, but Grubauer, he had a solid year. Last year was his first year as a full-time starter in the National Hockey League. 917 save percentage, 2.64 goals against average. I think he's just going to get better. Um, I think they found their number one after a few years of Simeon Valarmov. For me, the depth that they added, because they were very top-heavy, they were very similar to Dallas, where they had to rely on their number one line and rely on their defensive system and goalie to be able to make any, any noise in the playoffs, which they got. So to bring in a guy like Kadri, who was still a pretty much a 25-30 goal-a-year guy as their number three center. Now he's going to get additional minutes as a 2C in Colorado. He's going to get power play minutes. As long as he's able to just stay composed and not get suspended, I think he's going to have a really big year. I think Tyson Jost is in for a big year. I, I just, love Tyson Jost. Yeah, I, don't know if we, I know we don't want to get into like season previews or whatever, but... I just think the depth that they brought in in Kadri and Burakoski and Donskoy was big. Their fourth line is Matt Calver, Bellamar, and Matt Nieto, which I think is a pretty strong fourth line that can contribute in a couple of different ways. Um, Ian Cole, I know he's out until December, out the earliest because of his hip surgery, so you're going to have a guy like Ryan Graves as your third pair of left-hand shot defenseman, former Ranger draft pick. So I think it all depends on the youth can Joe step forward can JT Confer step forward on a back and like you said can Gerard and McCarr really just solidify themselves as a first and second pair defenseman without any really learning curve because if there if a couple of these guys need some time to get adjusted and go through maybe sophomore slumps the avalanche are cooked in that division so I like the fact that they brought themselves some depth that can kind of cover up some of those holes, especially up front. I don't know if they have the depth on the back end to make up for slumps or guys just not being ready for prime time. So I think that's the biggest concern for me after their offseason. They just kind of relied on their young prospects on the back end that they're just going to continue progressing in a linear fashion and not have any setbacks or anything like that. And I think that kind of scares me a little bit. I'm with you because... This is one of my teams to watch. I know how you said Anaheim was your team. I think this is my team because if these young guys bring it all together, like you said, I think it's, hey, sky's the limit. But if these guys kind of regress, they're in for a world of hurt. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very high on the Avalanche's coming year, um, which we can get into a couple weeks from now for our previews, even in the division that they're in. I just love the makeup. I love that. They have a guy like McKinnon. I know Landis Cog's the like the leader in the room, but I love that McKinnon basically just nutted up in the postseason and said, "Let's fucking go and do this." And now they have that experience, especially 
a guy like Makar who just stepped right in and seamlessly fit into the team playoff push bodes well for being able to kind of just withstand the rigors of a regular season. And I don't know if you know this, but Kill Makar is a UMass alum. What up, Stratty? Uh, yeah, 10% discount, Stratford Landscaping, if you ask him where he's from. <laughs> um, all right, moving on to another surprising team that had a good playoff run. Uh, the Dallas Stars last year finished 43-32-7 for 93 points and a plus-eight goal differential, which was such a low goal differential and a positive despite having one of the best goaltending tandems and defensive systems in, systems in the league, which just goes to show you how much they struggled offensively outside of their big three. Um, this summer, they were, they were able to bring in more depth. Uh, they let go of Matt Zuccarello. Uh, they let go of Valerie Nuchiskin. Jason Spezza moved on to Toronto. Ben Lovejoy and Brett Ritchie also moved on. And they brought in Joe Pavelski, which is a huge get. Corey Bear- Terry on a cheap one-year prove-a-deal. And Andre Sakara for the back end. They shed $8 million in cap obligations as well, even though they brought in a guy like Pavelski. So I think overall, pretty strong summer. What are your thoughts? Do you think, now I'm just posing a question, I mean, outside of Spezza, and I mean, I, I don't really count Brett Ritchie as being a very yeah. big <laughs> contributor there, but like, do you think Pavelski and Perry can take them to the promised land? Because those are their two huge additions, and like you said, they have their big three and Ben and Sagan and Radulov, but now you add Pavelski and Perry into the mix, and do you think this pushes them over the hump. I mean, they came in and they took out Nashville in the first round. No one saw that happening. And a bouncer to one way or the other, they probably could have taken out St. Louis. So do you think they can make that jump? I mean, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I, I want to see the years that they have. I, I mean, is Corey Perry going to have a bounce back year after what had happened in Anaheim? I don't know. Speaking of continuing for a breakout year, Rupe hints that postseason he had was phenomenal can he be a breakout player during the regular season as well or is he just a colin wilson just strictly a playoff performer you look at that back end and obviously it's klingberg and he's gonna like nhl.com just came out with their top 20 defensemen those two are in it and yeah do they stay top 20 defensemen this year i i hope so for dallas's sake because Outside of those two on the back end, I mean, I like Essa Lindell, but Klingberg and Heiskanen are miles ahead of him. Miles. And then you look behind him, and it's Roman Polak. Like, hey, I get it. He's a big body. He he pushes people around. But outside of that, I mean, his gap control is fucking awful. Like, <laughs> illegi- like he's legitimately just a bruiser. You, you look at Jamie Alexiak, and yeah, a very big body. And he can play his lane just off size alone. But if they go around him, is he going to be able to make it up? I don't know. I mean, I like Andre Sequeira. He is what he is. I mean, I don't really have to touch on them. But I feel like outside of Klingberg and Heiskanen, they could be in trouble defensively. So do you think their firepower up front offsets the back end? Or what do you think? So it's funny because, it. first of all, to answer your first question, if Ben Bishop stays healthy then I think they have a chance. I mean, if Promised Land is winning the Stanley Cup, I'm not ready to put them in that class, but if healthy and their young guys step up, like you said, uh, Heinz, and especially a guy like Dennis Gurionov, who's penciled in as the second line winger with Pavelski, they might have a chance to go deep into the playoffs again. But it all depends on Bishop's health. And we know almost every year, right before the playoffs, they're in the playoffs, he usually gets hurt and misses a game or misses the rest of the postseason. So you never know what you're going to get with him health-wise. But for me, I'm on the opposite end with their D. I think their defense is now what Colorado hopes their defense becomes. Um, I know that their top four is strong. Lindell, Klingberg, Heiskanen. Uh, Steve, I like Stephen Johns probably a little bit more than I should. Oh, you uh, know what? I should have said that. I do like Stephen Johns, but I do not like the rest of them. <laughs> Uh, and like you said, Polak is what he is. He's a guy on in the twilight of his career who, who not the fastest of foot, big body, PK type of guy. I like the Sakara signing if he's able to come back and stay healthy just because of 
he's leaving a place in Edmonton where he was a 15, 18, 20-minute-a-night defenseman who can contribute on a power play, and now he's basically penciled in as their number five defenseman and getting 15 minutes of ice time a night. So if he's able to be healthy, he doesn't need to be the Sakara of five years ago. But if, if, if he's able to come in and just give them solid 15 minutes at 5-on-5 five five and contribute on a power play, major signing for them. Um, so I think Polak's a weak week there, but 5 out of the 6 who can be strong strong production-wise and be considered top 4, top 3 on any other team's roster, I think is a great start, especially with their defensive system. I think for Pafelski, they built a lot of their roster... Basically, they entered this offseason kind of in a similar position where with Colorado, and it was, can we add contributing depth behind our top line? And what's your answer to that question? Did they do that or no? Yeah, I think they definitely added depth behind them. So, I mean, with everything else in place, if everybody's healthy, I think that's a win of an offseason. You have Pravelski who can play center or right wing. You have Heinz who can play center or left wing. Uh Radic Foxo can play center or wing. Jason Dickinson, center or wing. Kyle Gagnano, center or wing. Uh, Corey Perry is either on their third or fourth line. So you, you don't even need him to be the Corey Perry of two years ago, three years ago in Anaheim. If he gives you 15 goals and solid two-way play, big, big addition on your bottom six for a playoff team. Uh, so really, I think a lot of it depends on what they're going to be able to get out of Garyanov, what they're going to get out of Foxa, Heinz, and Dickinson up front. I think they're set on a back end, especially if Sakara can bounce back and have just a solid year. If Bishop stays healthy, they're fine. But I think they had a fantastic offseason. They shed space. They didn't commit long-term to a guy like Zuccarello. I'd rather have Pavelski for what they gave him than Zuccarello for what Minnesota gave him. So I'd, oh, fantastic absolutely. Absolutely. resource management there. I'm I'm intrigued looking at it though. I I got up cap friendly and there's a whole lot of no movement clauses here. Like for someone <laughs> like Martin Hansel, like yeah. if the trade deadline comes and it's not working and someone wants to take a flyer, like absolutely. But does he want to wave his thing? I don't know. So I, I hope they don't get in trouble there with that. But that'd be another thing to look at in Andrew Cogliano. Jesus Christ, Andrew Cogliano, another one like. If the time came and stuff's not really working, would he move his no movement clause as well? I don't know. I, I guess we'll see how it plays out. But and don't, don't forget know. a guy like Jamark, who I think is a solid like third line, fourth line guy who can contribute. I don't know. I, I like Faxka more than I like Janmark. I don't Either know, like, like th- this see, they have depth so now. Hard. They don't need to rely on both of them. They I, just pick I the know. best one. <laughs> it's like it, it's just so hard. Like looking at their lineup because they have the depth, but it's like my biggest thing is, is the depth going to contribute like they did last year? Like last year, it seemed like it was all clicking, but if it yeah, doesn't click in, the playoffs, in like, a regular season, yeah, they were kind of struggling. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know for me, it's just hard. And obviously Pavelski and Perry help you, but relying on the others to be consistent is going to be the hardest part for this team. And that's the beauty of the salary cap. It's you load up on three or four main guys, and then holy shit, hopefully these kids are ready. And that's where Dallas is right now. Hope and pray, baby. Hope and pray. <laughs> um, you go on to the defending Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. Finished the regular season last year, a strong 45, 28, and 9 for 99 points and a plus 24 goal differential, which was not expected. After their start all the way into the holidays, uh, this summer they basically kind of stood pat. The only thing that they lost was Pat Maroon off their, basically the main part of their roster. Uh, Michael Delzado moved on to Anaheim. They brought in a guy like Derek Pouliot. We'll see what happens there. Um, because they let go of Maroon, they shed about $3.3 million in cap obligations. But this is pretty much the same team that won the Stanley Cup last year. And... I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So what are your thoughts? It's funny because you hear everyone say nowadays that a big team like St. Louis that, you know, they don't win Stanley cups anymore. You got to be fast and you got into, but it's like it, it worked. It, it reminds you of those LA Kings teams that weren't the best. They can oh. put goals and they can kind of trap you and be that big, strong team. 
and for me, bringing back the same team, I mean, I don't see like why they can't do what they did last year. When certain players peaked, like Ryan O'Reilly played out of his mind in those playoffs. Like that that Stanley Cup run, like at the end, he was out of his mind. He was gone after that first game and then kind of reappeared. But Shen, Tarasenko, Schwartz, Bozak, like they are just deep. And then you go a little bit further and you go to the D end, Petrangelo, Perenko, Edmondson, Gunnarsson, Dunn. And that's not even saying the veteran leadership of Joe Jay Bomeister. I think one of the biggest things here is can Jordan Bennington handle a full NHL season? Like, he, yeah, he was their turning point last year. That was their rallying point. That's what they were behind. Can he handle a full 82 games? I don't know. I mean, maybe they were just looking for something. He was the guy that they saw and that was what happened. And they rode him to the promised land. <laughs> but now the hey. other way is if he has a couple of bad losses in the regular season, cause he didn't really have many last year with the run that they went on with that, is he going to be able to bounce back? Like I feel throughout a whole season, there is a whole lot more of peaks and valleys than there are in just the postseason. So I'm very interested to see what can happen there. When you look at the coach, obviously they love playing for Barubi. The videos that the NHL was coming out with last year on Instagram, showing them in the locker room, showing them with the guys. The guys want to play for him. I think that's huge. I I don't see how they're not second in this division. I I think that they jump ahead of Winnipeg this year for sure. Like, say save it for our season preview. All right, but yeah, that's (laughs) all I have on St. Louis. Up off to you, Ben. Yeah, I mean. Like you said, not much to say about their offseason. I'm surprised. Initially, I was surprised that they didn't want to bring back Maroon, who just loved playing in St. Louis. He's from the area. But then you look at their lineup, and they have a guy like Barbashev who can play that role. They have a guy like Sunquist who can play that role. Um, My only two things about their offseason has nothing to really do with what they did or didn't do. It's, like you said, is Bennington a true number one, or is he a... Jose Theodore or Jim Carrey, where it's just flash in a pan type of guy. Because if he is, or if let's say he's just not a number one, then you're, you're splitting time between two kind of one A's or backups in Bennington and Allen. And I don't know if that's going to be able to take you far in a postseason to defend your championship. But assuming Bennington is able to give you at least average production and goal, the only question for me is, is there a Stanley Cup hangover? And I know that's an intangible type deal, uh, but you haven't really had back-to-back Stanley Cup champs since the Penguins did it. You haven't, and it's rare for that to happen. You bring it back to the exact same group, so is this a group that after years of being underachievers and years of being called out for that, they finally climbed that mountain and then they just, we did it. Like, what else is there to perform for? There's no new blood into that locker room that's that's hungry that hasn't done it um so i I don't know if there's going to be a hangover or not i think taking out that intangible they're solid from top to bottom obviously they're look at their fourth line they have steen barbership and sunquist on it their third pair is vince dunn and robert bertuzzo and their backup goalie jake allen so i think they're set up for success i don't know if they even entertain the idea of making any big moves this summer, but the fact that they just stayed the course and didn't blow up their cap, they didn't lose any depth from the young guys like a Barbashev or a Robert Thomas, I think just steady as it goes. And if I don't see themselves just falling off a cliff here, but I don't know if they're going to be able to repeat that we're bigger than a sum of our parts run that they did last year. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like you said, the Stanley Cup hangover, the biggest thing for me when you look at that postseason was how good some of their guys were and whether that's just lightning in a bottle like Ryan O'Reilly or they're just genuinely that good. I think those are intangibles in the postseason that sometimes they just kind of happen and people take off and that's what they get known for. So it'll definitely be interesting to see as to 
are they going to have a bad start again like they did last year? Do they need another coaching change? Because <laughs> no, I don't think and, they'll fire No, I'm just saying on the other end, like that's still the same team because he didn't blow up the team. Dougie Armstrong didn't blow up this team. He went with the coaching change instead. So that's basically the same team that had that same start last year outside of Bennington. So I yeah, think I these think are things that have to be looked at. That they played so poorly. So I don't know. I think it was just all about how they're being utilized and that they finally got used to their potential and you saw what happened. So oh, I so think Mike a piece of would be about the long season that they had playing deep into the summer. Allegedly. We'll see. <laughs> uh, moving on, north of the border, the Winnipeg Jets, uh, 47-30-5. and They also finished with 99 points tied with St. Louis. Uh, and they finished with a plus 28 goal differential this past offseason. They lost Jacob Truba. They let go of Kevin Hayes, which was a deadline acquisition. Tyler Myers signed elsewhere, so they're brand attentive. Uh, ben Chariot was gone. Parlin Tom is gone. And they brought in Neil Pionk and Anthony Potato. And they shed over $16 million in cap obligations for the upcoming year. What are your thoughts on where the Winnipeg Jets stand after the summer that they just had in terms of what they were able to accomplish this past summer? I know that Tanov and Myers left on that free agent market to go get paid elsewhere. And I know we disagreed upon the monetary value that they got paid or length of term like Tanov ended up getting. But I think those are two huge losses here for Winnipeg. Another thing is they still have two huge RFAs on Liney and Connor not signed yet. Yep. Another thing is which Patrick Liney is going to show up this year. Is it going to be the rookie Patrick Liney? Is it going to be the one from last year? Because the one from last year sucked. Sucked. Like not, <laughs> not even a little good. When you look outside of them though, they do have a very good lineup. Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, Nicholas Ehlers, Jake Raslavic, Brian Little, Matthew Perot. Like I do like their lineup defensively they're a little worrisome um that it's a fucking mess yeah like big buffs only getting older josh morrissey i like josh morrissey i think he's a very heavy player um he's iffy though like outside of that heavy heavy game he doesn't really contribute a lot offensively so i think that's another thing they have to look at they bring in nail peonk who i mean we talked about that earlier like not a good look they got Nathan Bayou for a million dollar a year. I think this is a huge year for him just to see. It proves if he's an NHLer or not, because he's bounced around a lot for a younger guy from organization to organization. And I think for him, this is a huge year because he goes unrestricted and I'm assuming it's either to Europe or the AHL. So for his own sake, I think he needs to have a good year. You look at that bottom part outside of those guys, you got Dmitry Kulikov. I'm not a big Kulikov guy. Oh. Um, Sammy Niku, I don't even know who that is. He's an <laughs> RFA. And then Tucker Pullman, I mean, yet again, a, I don't know, man. They are in for a world of hurt. You look on the other end, I do like their goaltending. Connor Hellebuck's Connor Hellebuck. That's been noted. I mean, I thought last year he still had a fine year, even though it didn't go as to which way they thought it would go. Uh, Lauren Brassard behind him. I think that's a decent backup considering Kellebuck is getting most of the work. Yeah. But that D is, that's just a question mark the whole way through. Just, I don't know where you're getting out of them. I mean, Neil Pionk, probably a nice guy. <laughs> I think he's a good teammate in New York, but he was a borderline 5'6" in terms of where he should have been in the Rangers lineup. And he got more minutes because the Rangers were rebuilding and he started the year off hot offensively. So they gave him top four minutes. He is in their top four. Like there's no question where he's playing. And the fact that he went from a rebuilding team in New York where he should have been getting six defenseman minutes, healthy scratch some nights. And now he's guaranteed a top four spot. Kulikov's in your top six. Nathan Ulo's, he's their number two defenseman. He's playing a top pair with Bufflin right now. Josh Morrissey's on a second pair just to play with Peon. I love Connor Hellebuck, but he's going to be in for a shit show in terms of high, high percentage chances this year in front of him in Winnipeg. Like you said, 
I'm assuming that they're going to work out a contract with Connor and Line A. But I like Kristen Veselainen, who is penciling in for the third or fourth line, big power forward from Finland as a prospect. I think he's 22, 23 at this point. But we'll get into it in a couple of weeks. But Winnipeg Jets are not making the playoffs in my upcoming preview. I like it. I I have them dropping big time too. So I'm just glad yeah, they're on the same. When place you look there. at the rest, when you look at the rest of this lineup, how uh, division? How can you say, oh yeah, they have some good scores up front. They have Hellebach and goal, which most of this division can also say, but their defense is in shambles. But just because they're Winnipeg, they're going to make the playoffs. Like I don't know how you get there. They're the true North, pal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we'll move on to the last team in the Central Division. Uh, the Nashville Predators, they won the Central last year by one point, finishing 47-29-6 for an even 100 and a plus 26 goal differential. This past summer, they traded P.K. Subban. They gave out a big contract to Matthew Shane. They also brought in Steven Santini. Um, and they let go of Wayne Simmons and Brian Boyle. Who knows that Boyle, he sh- to be honest, he shouldn't even sign a contract in the summer. He should wait till February or March be his own trade deadline acquisition by signing a half-year deal prorated and then just choose what cup contender he wants to go to instead of being traded. Um, but yeah, they shed about $6 million in cap obligations. Uh, what did you like about their summer? What didn't you like? All right, I'm going on record for saying it because I always have to. I love Nashville. I, <laughs> I love their team. I may love their video coach. It is what it is. They've always been criticized about, you know, they're a good team, but their offense isn't there. Does Matt Duchesne bring this all together for him now? It, I think there's a chance there because you look outside of him, Johansson, Forsberg, Torres, Granlund, Arvidsson, Benino, Callie Yarncroke. Like, you go even a little bit deeper, their first-round pick from a couple of years ago that hasn't blossomed yet, but if he does, Illy Tolvanen. Like, that kid was an absolute sniper over in Finland. You go a little bit more to their defense. Josie, Ellis, Ekholm, Irwin, Camus, Yannick Weber, Steven Santini. And then you got the other kid that got drafted the same year right behind Charlie McAvoy and went to BU with him, Dante Fabro. Yeah. I think this is... I'm going bring the hot take alert. This is a Stanley Cup winning team. What What did you say, Kev? <laughs> I said it's a Stanley Cup winning team. The biggest thing is right what I'm about to talk about right now. This is a make or break year for Pecorino. Yeah. He's 36 with a well, lot to prove. What way that it, he can win a cup? Oh, absolutely. Because this is, hey, he's gotten it done in the regular season for forever now. The postseason, not so much. In the regular season numbers back it up as to what he does then to what he does in the postseason. Last year's postseason, not good enough. Not even close to get beat by Dallas the way that they did. And the other thing is this. UC Saros, he's waiting in the wings because Peter Laviolette did it last year where if there was any doubts, he pulled Rene and he put Saros right in there. Yeah, there's a lot of trust there. There's a lot of trust there. And this is the other thing too. They both have two years left. Pekka, $5 million for the next two years, then unrestricted. UC Saros, next two years, $1.5 each, and then goes to restricted. So I think this could be the year or next year's the year that that torch is passed because in two years, he's going to be 38, 39 years old, depending on when he turns 37. Yeah. So I think you have to pass that torch, whether it's this year or next year, because you're not just going to give the reins to UC Saros in 2021 and say all right even though you don't know if he's proven yeah if you don't know he's nhl proven you're not just going to hand him over the reins so this is the year for pecorine because i think next year it might be split time i think this is a roster to get it done hats off to david poily again for making trades that people probably wouldn't do i mean that pk suban trade opened it up for matt duchene like i'm just saying man like this is their window yeah, this, this is, is the, the like the, I think this. If you're going to go with the premise that you're going off of, it's this year or it's not going to happen with this group. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things where you look at the guys you have for one year before it all goes to UFA, 
and then you have some serious replacing to do, whether it's inside or outside. Michael Granlin, UFA at the end of the year. Craig Smith, UFA at the end of the year. Austin Watson, Rocco Grimaldi, Mika Salamaki, and Frederick Goudreau. Frederick Goudreau, a couple of years ago in that postseason against Pittsburgh in the Stanley Cup final, a kid showed up and played, kind of gets lost in this lineup a little bit. So I think you got to prove it. And then the other thing is when you look at the end of this year, Roman Yossi's up to get signed, and they're going to lock him up long-term. Oh, he is. Yeah, exactly. Like he is going to get paid huge money with that. There's other things that have come like Dan Hamuse at the end of this year. I mean, 36 currently he's not yes, coming yeah, back. Like bye. Yeah. Yannick Weber yeah. and Matt Irwin. I love Matty Irwin. Uh, they're currently stales at only 675. Like, I don't think that really hurts your cap, but at the same time, it all depends as to what Yossi signs for. So we'll see what does and what doesn't happen, but I think this is the team to do it. And if they don't get it done, like you said, I think that window is closed. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of what they did this summer, I love the Subban trade just because I think he's vastly overrated. Um, I'm not saying he's a garbage player. and I, I, He's going to help New Jersey. But I think he was vastly overrated. And in terms of what they were obligated to pay him, both in terms of term and length, that they made a great decision to move on. I like that they were able to bring back a guy like Santini, who I think is actually going to probably take a top six spot away from either one of Dan Hughes or Yannick Weber this year. Um, I think that's his ceiling. I don't think he's much more than that, but I think he's going to be able to give them more than one of, at least one of those two guys. Um, I like to do Shane signing uh, that one, two punch of Johansson and Duchesne down the middle is really good. Um, yeah, I mean, this roster, I don't know if it's as strong as it used to be but just because the age of Pecorine and then kind of like the attrition on a back end. Uh, they're kind of banking on Fabro, proving that he's a legit top four guy. I'm not a huge fan of Ham Hughes and Weber starting together on their third pair. Um, but I think that this management team has proven that if they see a hole, they're going to fill it if they trade that line. So if they need to pick up a depth defenseman or they might need to bring in another uh, bottom six forward that brings some grit to the lineup besides just Benino and Austin Watson, that they'll do it. My biggest question mark, like you said, Pecorino, I don't know if a lot of projections have him starting 70% of the starts this year. I think this is the year, not next year, that it's more of 60-40, 55-45 between him and uh, Saros. And the other question for me is, what are you going to get out of Kyle Turris? He's another guy with a pretty, not hefty contract, but a substantial contract. And now he's down to your 3C. Do you take him and put him on the wing of Matthew Shane because they've had chemistry in the past and just trying to get value out of that tourist contract and then your 3c is nick benino and then you try and fill out the 4c role maybe bring it back brian boyle so they have options there uh it's just a good thing that everybody signed they're heading to camp they know what their objectives are they know the system well they've been playing in it for a few years and they were able to bring in a guy like Duchesne, who i think is a massive upgrade in the 2c role over kyle tourist it's just what are you going to get out of tourist is he best utilized as your 3c or putting him on a wing with Duchesne, and how much is that split going to be between Rene and Saros? But I don't think they're a strong team. I don't know if they're selling cup level yet. I'll figure that out as I spend more time in the research for the divisions for the preview. But yeah, in terms of if you had to give me money on who's going to make the playoffs or make a Stanley Cup run between them and Winnipeg, I'm putting everything on Nashville. Oh, bet the house. Bet the house, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, like we said, the top central division, man, is no joke. Like, if you have a team like Winnipeg that can possibly miss the playoffs in my eyes, that's just how strong of the division that the central is for this upcoming year. I think it shows you, too, that everybody else in that division got better, and obviously they have to re-sign Line and Connor, which may have made other people have to depart from there, which kind of hurt them a little bit. But man, if you don't know which Patrick line is showing up, like that's a tough look, especially if you're going to give him a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Is he going to be the 40 
goal guy or is he going to be the power play specialist? <laughs> and I don't even think he was a power play specialist last year. So. Yeah. Um, so I liked, man, essential is just brutal. I didn't realize how tough it was going to be until we really spent some time digging into it. Um, I think probably the hardest division in hockey right now um, to come out of. But, yeah, just overall top to bottom, a lot of outcomes, a lot of talent, a lot of good young uh, talent as well. Absolutely. Who you got for shout-outs this week? Uh, well, before oh, shout-outs, uh, I actually hockey? just have one special today in NHL history for August 19th, only because it involves my Rangers. Just one. Just one. Very slow day, August 19th. Shocking in hockey. <laughs> Um, but I'm going to go back to 1988 because the New York Rangers were able to convince Gila Floor to come out of retirement by signing a one-year contract, uh, basically a PTO in training camp. Uh, he retired in November 1984. And what's crazy to me is this is why I wanted to highlight him. He scored 518 goals, finished with 1,246 points in 961 games with the Montreal Canadiens, and he retired in his 20s. It's <laughs> pretty good, no? He won, he, won, he won five Stanley Cups with Montreal, and then he came out of retirement at 26 to play one year with the Rangers, earned a contract, he finished the year with 45 points, 18 goals, 27 assists, and 67 games, and then after that year with the Rangers, he played two more years with Quebec before he retired for good. So that's my Today in NHL history, just to highlight the absurdity of how productive not only Guillaume Fleur was, but the teams he was on in Montreal before even he hit the age of 30. So crazy. And the other crazy thing too, or a great story about him was when one time when Montreal won those cups, he actually ended up stealing the Stanley cup from the locker room and he brought it to his parents' house and he just left it on the front lawn there. So people are out there on a Sunday morning, walking their dog next to the Stanley cup. They're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so everyone's taking pictures. He said, people were crying. And this was before people had a day with the cup. So to just yeah. walk up and see the Stanley Cup was <laughs> mind-boggling. So I thought that was a great story about him, too. Yeah, LeFleur, man. Those Montreal teams were fucking loaded. Oh, back in the day, it was ridiculous. But uh, um, Shout-outs, uh, shout outs, of course, for Slady. She's back from her China-slash-Japan trip uh, after two weeks. So glad to have her back. Um, I'm also going to give a quick shout-out to... I mean, if he's listening to this, I'd be shocked, but... I saw Chad Daniels, who is a comedian. I saw him live with one of my friends, uh, Karin, on this past Saturday night, and he killed. Um, he's on YouTube. He has a couple of specials on there and on Amazon. Uh, he's been on Conan a couple of times, but if you really want to see what his comedy is like, watch his specials, not the Conan appearances, because he's a lot more vulgar and biting in person, and he just did a fantastic show. So shout out to uh, Chad Daniels. All right, uh, two questions. One was... Did the first lady listen to us overseas? And when you said, I don't know if he listens to this, I'm going to give him a shot. I didn't know if you were talking about Bobo or not. So that's all. <laughs> I mean, I would probably give more credence to the fact that Chad Daniels, the comedian, would find us before Bobo fucking listens to us, that piece of shit. <laughs> um, and in answer to your first question, uh, she was only able to listen to bits and pieces of it on her travels. Um, but she was able to listen to it completely when she returned yesterday. So dedication. Well, dedica I'm just saying, if we listen over there, we would really be international. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to deduct a point, but that's fine. Who do you got? I have, as always, Big Red, but I have a huge one coming out to, on Saturday, my baby girl turned two. And oh, yeah. She is an absolute spitfire. Like she is, unfortunately, I'll say it remnants of me. Like she is, she's an animal. She don't care. <laughs> she don't take no for an answer. Like she is a strong willed, very independent little girl who I have to tell her about five times a day. Like you're lucky. You're so cute with all the things that you do. And thank God she is adorable. She is absolutely adorable. She is the freshest little girl in the world, and when she does something that she thinks is funny, and <laughs> other people should look at you with her smile and her little ponytail, <laughs> funny, funny, and you're like, no, <laughs> it's not funny. But um, 
Food. Yes. Oh yeah, food and then popcorn. Oh, oh, she'll now call it pickle juice, thanks to Big Kev. But uh, <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So happy birthday, Emma Rose. I know you're not listening to this. I can hear you upstairs though, causing a ruckus. So thank you for that. But wow, man, talk about uh, that one. Definitely adds a few grades to the beard. There's no question. <laughs> that one's the wild child. All right. Well. Next week will be the, pro- the probably the most anticipated based on our, our listenership uh, divisional off-season review, and that's going to be the Atlantic Division coming up next week. So everybody in the Northeast, get ready. I like it. That, that was perfectly said, Benny. Off of that, everybody, as always, thank you for listening, and we will catch all you guys next week. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Bye. Bye. And he cried, there goes my life There goes my future, my everything I love you, baby, goodbye There goes my life There goes my life